0: We're actually in the midst of a series on the book of Ruth, the the gospel according to Ruth. So today we're going to be going through chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, Ruth chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we've come here today because we are imperfect, because we are needy and hungry and hurt. We've come here, Father, because we want to rejoice in you. We want to believe in you. We want to walk with you. Father, our faith is weak. And we pray, Lord, through this text today, through this sermon, that you strengthen our faith. We believe. Help us. Help our disbelief. Be with us today. Renew us. Strengthen us, gird us up to go into the world and to love it as you have loved it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So the book of Ruth. It's easy for me to believe that the book of Ruth is actually about Naomi. At times it seems like she really is the main character. What we've been seeing in the last three weeks into today is is a transformation of Naomi. Naomi. The beginning of the book of Ruth, she was headed in the wrong direction. She was going away from God. And what what we get to watch is God graciously leads her to true and lasting faith in himself. That's the process that we've been watching. Yes, there's Ruth, and yes, there's Boaz, and there's this cutesy romantic story going on that's important. But there's also this love story going on between God and Naomi. And God is revealing himself to be the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. Naomi as he's revealing Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer of Ruth. So there's kind of these simultaneous love stories going on. At the end of chapter 2, where we were last week, we left Naomi speaking in astounded hope because of all that God had done for Ruth. In chapter 2, Naomi was a passive character throughout the gleaning story. Naomi's inaction in chapter 2 is a stark contrast to her actions in chapter 1, in which Naomi was making decisions that were leading her in the wrong direction, away from God. It's as if Naomi stayed at home in chapter 2 because she didn't trust her own wisdom or her own ability to make decisions, nor should she have, really. In chapter 1, they all led to pain and disaster. She's shell-shocked from grief at the beginning of chapter 2. She's down on the mat. She was like Israel, doing what was right in her own eyes, And now she doesn't trust her own judgment, which is actually a sign that she's getting wiser. God led her through tragedy to humility, to a place of inaction in chapter 2, where she would spend more time watching and learning than doing. And what does God graciously teach her? He showed her that he fills the empty. God guided Ruth to Boaz, and through Boaz, showered tangible grace down on both of them. At the end of chapter 2, Naomi is paying attention. She's finally watching. Naomi staggered as Ruth staggered in with 30 pounds of grain and, like I said, a doggy bag. And that's, and she also, right, Ruth comes home with a big bag of grain, a doggy bag from lunch to feed Naomi, and this unbelievable story about how she had gone into a hostile land and actually came out full of blessing. She went out empty and came back full. So this fills Naomi with hope, fills her with a great deal of hope. That 30-pound 30 bag, 30 bag of grain in Ruth's story affected her imagination, and it stirred up her faith. Nothing is impossible for God. It's something that Naomi is beginning to believe. Naomi has learned the lesson from Psalm 126, 1 through 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy, which is exactly what we saw happen to Naomi. She couldn't believe the story. It was like she was dreaming. And then she starts praising Boaz and praising Ruth and praising the Lord. Naomi is like one who dreams, and so she begins to dream big. She begins to dream bold. Naomi's faith is founded on what God has done for her. Naomi has learned to discern God's hand, and she follows it on an impossible and dangerous mission. And this mission that she has in chapter 3 tests her faith, it tests Ruth's faith, and it tests Boaz's faith. So far in the series, we've considered repentance, we've considered conversion, grace, and now to understand the gospel according to Ruth, we're going to consider faith. Naomi's faith is bold. Ruth's faith trusts and Boaz's faith obeys first let's look at Naomi's crazy crazy plan and her bold faith if you look at Ruth 3 1 through 6 I'm just going to read it for us here then Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were see he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, Ruth, Ruth replied, I will do all that you say. I like Naomi in chapter 3. She's cunning, she's wise, and she's just a little outrageous. This, this plan is outrageous. First time I've ever encountered the Book of Ruth was actually at a courting conference I went to at a megachurch I used to go to. And this is apparently Chapter 3 here is how we should court, I guess. I'm not going to do that today because I think that was a little crazy, a little misapplication there. It's a crazy plan, and it's not a plan that you should get your daughters to attempt let's just say, to find a husband. It's not the way to find a husband. Naomi's disbelief was drowned in tears. Her faith sprouted to life in the fertile soil of God's grace, and it's ready to bear some immense fruit. Naomi is now up off the mat in chapter 3, and she's ready to go big. At first glance, her plan looks risky, it looks imprudent, it looks audacious, and it actually puts Ruth in a great deal of risk. It seems like this plan echoes chapter 1, where Naomi was operating with no regard to God's law or social custom. That's what it kind of seems like. Send her in in the middle of the night after he's had some some drinks and start uncovering things. It seems seems a little crazy. However, there's actually a lot of wisdom in Naomi's plan. This plan isn't as outlandish as it first appears. Now, there's a lot of... Very interesting sociological things in her plan. It's, it defies the patriarchal society that they live in. Okay? Women do not arrange their own marriages. That's not how it works. Ruth's actions could seem very promiscuous, especially because she's a Moabite, and Moabites are actually known for prom- promiscuity. So it's almost like you're putting Ruth in a lot of danger with this, this plan. Is, Na- is Naomi going back to her old ways? That's kind of what the question you should ask after v- verse 6. What is this crazy cockamamie plant you have here? I think there are a couple of motivations, but none of them are generate in self-reliance or a defiant attitude. I think she is going where she thinks God wants to lead them. I think that's what she's done. First, Naomi sees that the time has come for a decisive moment. If you look back to Ruth 2.23, so she kept close to the young women, that's Ruth, she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, what that doesn't tell you is that's actually six weeks. It's six weeks from the end of Chapter 2 and the beginning of Chapter 3. Naomi doesn't just come up with this plan overnight. She doesn't just come up with it. It's not like you go from 2 to 3 and they're still standing there after Ruth got home and she just comes up with this plan. It's been six weeks. The harvest is coming to an end. Ruth will only be working a short time longer in the field of Boaz. And they're going to lose, obviously, the the thing they need Proximity. If Ruth isn't going out to Boaz's field, how is she ever going to see Boaz? Because social status, they're on very different levels, right? They aren't going to have them over for a dinner party, let's just say. So Boaz is obviously a candidate to be a kinsman redeemer. Okay, so Ruth has had some time to think about it. And and what we see is she's actually thought quite a bit about it. It says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well? Boaz is our relative. Okay, he's taking care of you. He's sent you out with his young ladies. And he's winnowing in the barley harvest. She's, she's been, had time to contemplate Boaz and what he's about. All the doors seem to be opening for redemption by Boaz. Does God want Ruth and Boaz together? Six weeks is plenty of time for Boaz to act, but why hasn't he? He knows he's a kinsman redeemer, but why hasn't he done anything? Now, there's a lot of speculation here about legal precedent, Ruth's heritage and so forth. But I think the reason he doesn't act is far simpler than that. He's a man. <laughs> uh, he's a farmer and it's harvest time. Men are about mission, right? This is one of the first things I learned about being married. Men are about mission. Women are about relationships. So it's not really on his radar, right? There's a lot of grain to get in. There's a lot to do. There's a lot, you know, it's not really on his mind. He doesn't have time to think about, about matrimony when he's trying to make sure the grain gets in and it's not wet. Naomi has had time to learn something about Boaz, too. This is also interesting. And I think she knows he needs a push. Somebody's going to have to push this man off the log to get up and do something about this situation. It's also funny that Naomi knows where Boaz is going to be sleeping. Is it because she's following him around? Staking him out, you know, scarf and sunglasses. <laughs> Does she have a network of relations that are informing on him? It's very interesting. It's like she has a dossier. And, well, tonight, hmm. Oh, he's going to be, this is where he's going to be. She knows. Either way, Naomi understands something about the kind of man Boaz is. He's a hard worker. I know where he's going to be, and I know he needs a push. Naomi believes in God, and that requires action. In Ruth 3, one, she says... Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Should I not seek rest for you? That's an echo from Ruth 1.9, where she prays that Ruth would experience rest in the house of her husband. So she's prayed to God that Ruth would, would find rest in the house of her husband. God has provided an interested and qualified candidate. Naomi isn't saying she alone is going to get rest She's, she's been humbled. She thinks she should seek rest. She should make a dash for it, make an attempt. God clearly is leading them in this direction, and she's not saying without a doubt, I'm going to go out there and get you some rest now, Ruth. She's saying we should seek it. She's looking at the evidence of what God is doing and making a call. This is what we should try to do. If they stepped out in faith now, isn't it possible that God would bless them? Just like Ruth stepping out in faith in chapter 2. Ruth stepped out in a great deal of faith to go glean, and and God blessed her for that. There's risk in Naomi's plan, but the risk is nothing if God is behind it. Seek is so important here. It isn't presumptuous. It isn't arrogant. It shows that Naomi seeks and another grants. Ultimately, the outcomes are up to God, not Naomi. What we see here is that faith takes action, humble, bold action. She's not working on her own wisdom. She's looking at what God is doing, and she thinks, okay, now it's time for us to, to do something, to bring about the answer to her own prayer. The plan is outlandish and unorthodox, but so too was Boaz befriending and providing for the two widows in the first place. Him doing what he has been doing at this point has been bold and unusual. And, she, and Naomi, who's paying attention, says, okay, I've never followed God in life. But Boaz is a good man, and this is what the kinds of things he's doing, and God is blessing people through it. And so I'm going to attempt to do the same thing. Something bold, something a little wild. Stepping out in faith. Our faith should be as big and bold as our God. This is my point. Our faith should be as big and bold as our God. Naomi's plan seems audacious, but it's founded on God's leading and Naomi's faith in God. The plan would be foolhardy if it hadn't been for everything that God had been doing for Naomi and Ruth up to this point. Naomi admits she isn't in charge, but given everything that's happened, it seems like God wants a Boaz and Ruth union. So why sit around? Ruth stepped out in faith and it worked out. Why not step out in faith now? This is going back to chapter 2 where we have this sort of split screen view of these things. From Ruth and Naomi's point of view, this is a crazy plan. From God's point of view, it's actually a pretty conservative plan because it's clearly the direction that God is leading them. So unfortunately, we don't get God's point of view most of the time. right? When we come up with crazy, bold, audacious plans, we don't usually get to see the end coming. right? This is why it's called faith. We're hoping. Naomi is hoping that this is going to work out. What's very interesting about Naomi here, too, is there's precedent for what she's doing. There's actually a story in the history of her people, just like this one, that she's actually imitating. This is Naomi who's in touch with her roots. She's in touch with the word of God. If you go back to Genesis chapter 38, there's a story there about a, a woman named Tamar and a guy named Judah. And Boaz and Naomi both descend from these two. Tamar had had to go big and bold, defying all social customs, to get Judah to obey his covenant obligations. That's what the story's about. In that story, Tamar had to trick Judah into fulfilling his duty as a redeemer. Naomi doesn't have to trick Boaz, but she's sending Ruth on a secret mission to bring the story to a crisis point, just like Tamar did, and this mission involves placing Ruth in a possibly compromising position, just like Tamar was. There's a Their echoes and similarities are quite astonishing between the two stories. Um, It's very instructive for us, typologically, to see how God works in the lives of his children in very similar ways, separated by hundreds of years, to bring about the son of promise, Jesus, who ultimately is going to come from this union that God is creating here. But he worked in Jesus' genealogy at times in a very similar way because in all of God's children's lives, he works this way. He works this way. He requires us to trust him, believe in him, and be bold as he is bold. Naomi sees what God has done in Tamar's life. Naomi has witnessed what God has done in Ruth's life, and she's ready to move. She's ready to, to put it all on the line. Naomi's prayer was that Ruth would find rest in the house of her husband. Naomi believes that's what God wants, and that belief requires a bold action. Spurgeon said, that venerable preacher, Spurgeon, faith is led confidently to expect what reason would never suggest. That's what faith does. It's led confidently to expect what reason would never suggest. He also said that faith trades in marvels and her merchandise is with wonders. Faith should ex- expect bold, unrealistic results. We serve a God that part sees and gives bread from heaven. We serve a God that floods the Earth while the living remain in this tiny little boat bobbing around on the water. We serve a God who saved Egypt and the world through a slave's ability to interpret dreams. That's Joseph. We serve a God who does things that reason shouldn't expect. So you're telling me that our king is going to come, and in order to win, he has to die. That reason that seems unreasonable. Reason breaks down at that point. But that's the kind of thing faith should expect. That's the kind of thing faith should expect. If you humbly submit to God's leading, paying attention to the doors as they open and close, considering God's promises, then what shouldn't we expect? What shouldn't we expect? Naomi listened to the Lord, took her time, and when it was time to act, she took the bold action. Her actions align with her faith. She believes nothing is impossible with God. She believes God sovereignly controls her life. She believes God is good and powerful and wants to bring his children joy. Do you? Do you make decisions with these foundational principles? That God does the impossible. That he loves you. That he is good. Do you serve a tame God? Or the wild, untamed God of the Bible? Are your expectations tempered by doubt and disappointments? By worldly wisdom? Or are your expectations bold as belief in the triune God who slew death by his own death? We all need to repent of our little, safe, boring expectations as individuals, as families, and as a church. Little, safe, boring expectations. Faith in the God of the Bible, the God of this world, should be big, it should be bold, and it should be untamed. Next, an untamed faith is a faith that trusts. So here we get to it, Naomi's crazy plan. Ruth has only seen Boaz in public when Ruth was working in the field. So you can imagine she was most likely dirty and sweaty and smelly, and there were also a lot of people around. It's really hard to court when the young lady in question is dirty, sweaty, smells bad, and there's a lot of people. I mean, that just, it's not, that's not how it's going to happen. <laughs> Boaz is a man who's focused on the mission, too, by the way. It's kind of hard. When a man is working, it's hard to throw love at him. He's just not going to, you know, he's, where's my hammer? He's not paying attention. So Naomi wants to put the idea to Boaz in terms that even a man can understand. This is the, the basis of the whole plan here. Like, let's put it to him that even the guy is going to get what, what we're where we're going with this. So she tells Ruth to wash up. Good start. Perfume herself and get on her cloak, it says there, which is a word that's only ever used in Song of Solomon. And it's what the female lover wears when she's going to meet the king. So Naomi wants her to put on what is considered in Hebrew tradition, courting clothes, <laughs> which we assume... You know, I'm not really sure actually what that means. I just assume it's more attractive than the thing she gleans in. That's, that's my guess, right? You don't go courting in the same clothes that you wash the toilet in. It's courting 101 here. Naomi tells Ruth to wait until Boaz is full of food and drink, sleeping on his huge heaps of grain, where he'll be more inclined to receive the honor of a proposal, right? Nothing gets a man in the right frame of mind like some good food, some drink, some sleep, and all of his success there, sort of just sleeping on his success. Wait until he's sleeping. This is her plan. Wait until he's sleeping when no one's around, and uncover his feet so that he's awoken slowly by the cold night air. This is actually why she tells her to do this. Don't go in there and just shake him awake. Uncover his feet, sit down, look pretty, with a smile on your face, and just wait until he wakes up. Wait until he sees your beautiful staring face, staring down at him adoringly. And this is what I love, this moment right here. I just imagine Naomi patting Ruth's hand and says, at that point, even Boaz will get it, and he'll take it from there. It's kind of the end of her, her is just do what he tells you to do. Because once they're in this position, Naomi is pretty sure Boaz is going to just take it from there. He's not going to miss the signs. It's pretty hard to miss the signs when you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a beautiful woman wearing courting clothes at your feet. It's kind of hard to miss that. Now, Ruth is trust incarnate. She doesn't question the plan. She doesn't make any suggestions to the plan. She simply says, all right, I'll do that. That sounds good. She's trusting. She trusts Naomi's wisdom, which at this point actually has been a little faulty at times. She trusts Boaz, his character and his intentions with her. Why? Why is, she, why is she trusting Naomi? Why is she trusting Boaz? Because she trusts God. She trusts God. She trusted God in chapter 1 when she threw her lot in with Naomi. Your God is my God, and so what? come what may, I'm with you, she told Naomi in chapter 1. She trusted God as she went out into a hostile land to glean. God continually proves himself. Naomi's plan seems good in light of everything God has been doing. Boaz seems safe, otherwise God would not have brought her into his field. When has God ever led her astray in this story? When is God not taking care of her? When has God let her down? Her life hasn't been a cakewalk. Don't assume by what I'm saying here that it's been easy for her. We forget Ruth is a, a beggar. She is a widow. She's lost her husband. She's in a foreign land where she doesn't know people, and she's been re- reduced to begging. It hasn't been easy for her. But she'll go into the dark of night risking her good reputation, risking rejection, risking harm at the hands of Boaz because even a good man goes wrong from time to time because she believes God will protect her. She believes God will not lead her in the wrong direction. She agrees wholeheartedly to the plan. Naomi's plan is good because God is good. She trusts everyone here because she trusts God. Ruth trusts Naomi and Boaz because she trusts the Lord. Ruth is not a fool. Ruth does not follow blindly. From chapter 1 and 2, we see that Ruth's faith is deep and it is strong. Her faith leads her into dangerous situation after dangerous situation because she believes God is good and God continues to be faithful to her. Ruth is experiencing God's grace, which, no matter what befalls us, is far more than we deserve. God's grace is unmerited favor. That's what it is. She trusts that God, no matter what, will give her more than she deserves. She chose God in chapter 1. She sought refuge under the wings of the Lord, as Boaz said. She is a seeker of grace. And how does God respond to seekers of grace? Does he ever turn them away? Does he ever destroy them? Psalm 511. But let all who take refuge in you, God, rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your wing over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. God covers those who seek him with protection and blessing. Ruth knows this from what God has done for her already. She keeps stepping out in faith, trusting God, and she keeps experiencing immense blessing. But it's not as if she thought nothing could harm her. She knows it could. She believes there's real harm. We don't trust God because we think nothing painful will ever touch us, but because pain does touch us. We don't believe in God because we don't believe pain will ever touch us. We follow God because it does. It's the hope and faith that God sees beyond the edges of our life. That God knows the end from the beginning. That God is working out our little insignificant stories in the grand story of him overcoming Satan, sin, and death. This is her hope. This is why she can go into the valley of the shadow of death. Because God has always walked there with her. This is the faith that leads Ruth into harmful circumstance after harmful circumstance. And why she keeps coming out on top. God honors her faith. Spurgeon said, It is possible for even a good man to fail one who trusts him. But it is quite impossible for God to fail the soul that has relied upon him. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's this faith that trusts in God's sovereignty and ultimate purposes that led Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar challenged them, saying, Who is going to save you? No one will. And their response was this. Our God, whom whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. God will save their souls, no matter what. They're not afraid of what anyone is going to do to their bodies, because they will rise and see God face to face. They have a hope that stretches beyond the horizon. They have a faith that stretches beyond the horizon because they have a God that stretches beyond the horizon. Ruth is governed by a trust and love for God that allows her to walk through fearful circumstances faithfully. She fears God more than her circumstances. This is what we're always telling our kids. Fear God more than your circumstances. She trusts God because she believes he is good. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24 reads, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. How much of what we do, our decisions and our actions, stem from a lack of trust in God? It's a fearful thing to put ourselves in God's hands. To trust. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. But what is God like? What is he like? What is his character? What is his nature like? Indy Wilson, in a beautiful little book called Notes of a a World, describes God's nature, and this is how he describes it. Are you in shadow? Are you in pain? Do not cry to me, I can only cry with you. I will not die for you. I am still too young in the meaning of love. Talk to the fool, to the one who left a throne to enter an anthill. He will enter your shadow. It cannot taint him. He's done it before. His holiness is not fragile. It burns like a father to the son. Touch his skin. Put your hands in his side. He has kept his scars when he did not have to. Give him your pain and watch it overwhelmed, burned away by the holy, by the joy he takes in loving and stooping. Give him your pain and watch it overwhelmed, burned away by the joy he takes in loving, in stooping. Jesus is his name. He is our king, he is our God, and he has endured it all and he has kept his scars when he didn't need to so that you can look upon them and remember all that he has done for you. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, certainly then you can trust him with your children, your bank account, and your marriage. Seek him. Come to him every morning and unburden yourself. Seek refuge in him, and your faith and trust in him will embolden you. He won't fail you. Faith in God is bold. It trusts. And finally, we come to the third. Faith obeys. Ruth obeys the plan to a T. She goes out and she does exactly what Naomi wanted her to do with one important caveat. She changes one thing about it. She adds in Ruth 3.9, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Regardless of everything, Ruth is equating protection under the Lord's wing with protection under Boaz's wing. Boaz said to her, you have come here to seek the wings of the Lord. And now she is saying she's come to Boaz to seek his wing. Now, in the Old Testament time at weddings, you actually had this um, piece of cloth that the the groom would put over the bride since covering her with his wings. So she's equating the protection and goodness she's looking for for from the Lord with protection and goodness from Boaz. She's, She's making a connection here. She wants to obey God's law. This is, this is what's going on. Boaz says that Ruth could choose young or old, rich or poor. She could marry for love, right? Young and poor. She could marry for comfort, old and rich. She could. She could marry anybody. But Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. She doesn't know about the second guy yet that he's about to tell her about. As far as she's concerned, the person she is supposed to marry is Boaz because as far as the law goes, that's who's supposed to redeem her. She doesn't want to go out looking for anyone else. Here at the end, she's telling us really why she's going along with this plan. It's not because Naomi is awesome and Naomi's plan was just awesome in itself. It's she thinks she belongs with Boaz because that's who God providentially provided through the law to be her husband. This is how obedient she is. Ruth chooses covenantal faithfulness to family, to Naomi, and even to Boaz over any other option. Ruth is already the very picture of faithfulness and now she puts the icing on the cake. She is obedient to the law. Technically speaking, the law provides for siblings. So if, if, my, if I die, the law provides that my brother marry my wife and provide an heir. Not, not anymore, but in the other, <laughs> my poor wife. <laughs> <laughs> now what the law doesn't say about is if there's no brother. There's actually a technicality here that all of these characters can say we're done and move on. They can all get out of this. But they really want to obey God beyond what's necessary. They want to go beyond what it actually says. They want the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. Everything recommends Ruth at this point. Okay, Boaz is out in the field. He notices her. Why does he notice her? Why does he notice her? Why does a man usually notice a woman? There's a bunch of people out there. Besides her just being a, a new person. She works hard. She has a great reputation. Ruth used to follow the book of Proverbs. So she used to go from Proverbs 31, which describes the perfect wife, to the book of Ruth. The reason is because Ruth is the perfect, the perfect Proverbs 31 type of wife. And by, when I say perfect, obviously she's a, a creature, not a perfect like Jesus. But you get my point. She is the epitome of what you want to marry. In Ruth 3.11, Boaz also calls her worthy, which is how Boaz was referred to in Ruth 2.1. She is esteemed by the town. She is showing that she would be the perfect Proverbs 31 wife. They are both worthy now. They call Boaz worthy. He calls her worthy. They're equals. They've become equals. She has become an Israelite through her faith, just as God desired since Abraham. There's a lot to that. But just think about that. She's become his equal through her faith. Ruth is acting out of faith, a faith that obeys. This is where things, though, get really interesting. First, Naomi is absolutely vindicated. Her plan couldn't have been more brilliant. It's worked out exactly how everyone hoped. It's coming along better than anyone could have imagined. Fortune indeed favors the bold. And here we see why Boaz didn't come forward on his own. He doesn't think he's good enough for Ruth. Ruth 3.11. This is so funny to me. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Verse 10. And he said, may, be, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men and yada, yada, yada. She, he thinks she's showing him kindness. He's a rich guy. He's an Israelite. He's a worthy man. Why wouldn't she want to marry him? But he considers it a kindness. It shows his humility. The widowed beggar is honoring the rich Israelite landowner. Could Boaz be more humble at this point? I, I don't think he could if he tried. He's as humble as he could get. Now, Boaz is for this plan. You, you want me to spread my wings over you? I'm in. I'm all in. You, could, you couldn't be a better choice. He noticed Ruth in the field. He singled her out. He thinks she is better than he deserves. He talked to her with a compassionate and understanding way back in chapter 2. He agrees to marry her. And then the whole situation falls under a shadow. There's another redeemer closer in lineage than Boaz. How did Ruth's dossier not have that detail in it? How did she miss this in her research? (laughs) They were so focused on Boaz, apparently there's somebody else who's closer That could actually redeem her. And and we have to come to the point where everybody is into this plan. These two want to get married, and this is when we find out. This is the providence of God right here, right? Everything looks perfect, and then I'm sorry, what? There's some there's someone else. And Boaz Boaz He doesn't want to act without giving this other guy his opportunity. I mean these two are here. Nobody is around. They want to be together. They could be together now, and they could just leave there and just be together. They don't have to go tell anyone else. But Boaz is obedient. He's obedient. He wants to obey God more than he wants to get what he wants. He believes if God wants Ruth and himself to get married, then it will happen. His faith obeys, looking to God to put this situation right. He's a lot like Abraham with Isaac on the mountain. He's looking to sacrifice his joy and his future happiness to obey God's command. The similarities here between these two, the patriarch and Boaz, is striking. There Abraham was sacrificing his future, his joy, his happiness in the promise because God told him to. And here Boaz is doing the same thing. So, what does Boaz do? Well, he says, I'm going to work it out. Then he makes provision to protect Ruth's reputation. He tells everyone to be quiet about the fact that she was there. Keeping her visit a secret, he doesn't want anyone badmouthing his maybe fiance. And as a pledge that he is serious, he gives her what would be eighty pounds of grain to carry home. Now let me just say something here. Ruth is going to carry eighty pounds of grain home. I do not think she is a petite woman. I'm just gonna say that. Our our ideals of, of beauty are very different now than they were then. Okay? She's good looking, she works hard, and the woman can carry eighty pounds of grain home. <laughs> How would you cast this for Hollywood? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Who would play her? Let's consider this even more closely. They want to be together. They were alone. Boaz obeys God by not laying with Ruth at this point. He justifies Ruth's trust in him by not laying with Ruth. Boaz is upright. He can delay gratification until the day God appoints it, if God even appoints it. Right? He is extremely obedient here. It's not this modern thing where we're married in our hearts, that kind of jazz. You know, Well, we really love each other. No. They really love each other, and they're willing to put off gratification to obey God. Boaz obeys God and believes that God will arrange matters as God sees fit. To modern re- readers, this doesn't seem like a very romantic story. If this was a modern film, these two here in the dark by themselves, the film would get pretty grim pretty quick. Where's the love? Where's the passion? We are used to love and passion directed toward our own desires and the express fulfillment of them here and now. That's what we're used to in love stories, right? The two people meet, who cares if they're married, who cares if they're not old, you know, different ages, 20 years apart, right? Modern love stories are very different than what we see here. It's all about the here and now. It's all about passion and, and just and not obeying God. Ruth and Boaz show love for one another, biblical love, because, because it's based on a passion for the Lord, a passion and a love for the Lord and his honor. That's the love and passion. They love God. They're passionate about his glory, and they're not willing to throw that away for a few minutes of gratification. What's Ruth's motivation? Okay, you might question it now. Is she just doing this all of this out of obedience? I think she went with this plan because she really loves Boaz. I think she's really happy about what God has done because he is awesome. And she wants to be with him. She has really lucked out. Going back to their first meeting, she was overcome at that point by his gracious, graciousness towards her. And the way that she responds to him back in, in chapter 2 reveals that she says something in the sense of like, how do you know me so well? Their first meeting, she gets this sense where there's this connection between the two of them. And that startles her a little bit. And I think going forward on that, um, th- that's kind of her motivation through all of this. Everything else is just working out for her. It's Ruth, of course, right? She keeps acting in faith. God keeps, keeps pulling her through. There are such, um, they are such a great match because they are both so godly. They both show how faithful a spouse they would be by how faithful to God they are. Okay, That is what you're looking for in a, in a spouse they're that faithful to God, they're going to be that faithful to you. The new roadblock is indeed a roadblock. But this is where their faith is really tested. Imagine knowing you want to marry someone, and that person wants to marry you. And you don't know if you can because the circumstances may not allow it. That's pretty hard providence. It takes a lot of faith. This is truly one of the most romantic stories ever written. They want to be together, and they don't know if God does. And so they die to themselves because they love the Lord. This is a great love story. It's a great love story. You can see how deep and strong their faith is by how much they risk their own happiness to obey God. Spurgeon said, faith is the fountain, the foundation, and the fosterer of obedience. Obedience is often difficult because it requires laying down our own will, dying to ourselves. It requires walking into shadow for a time and even danger. Faith can sometimes hurt when circumstances overwhelm us. Is God really good? Is God really for me? Is God really with me? Faith that obeys is an extraordinary thing. It isn't grown overnight. It builds. It builds. We all say, I believe, help my disbelief. This is where all of us are at. Because we think like creatures and humans with limited knowledge and bent logic. We can't see beyond the edges of the horizon. We look around us and say, how is this going to work out for my good? We have lots to say about what our good really is, how it ought to work out, what it should consist of. But submitting to God is hard. At times, it's painful. What if Boaz and Ruth part here, and the next time they see each other is at Ruth's wedding to this other guy? Could you imagine that? I think we've all experienced something like this. What is God going to do? We've all stood on the edge of the Red Sea. And how do we get through it? How do we overcome? Believing God is bigger than our circumstances. That he is holy, that he is good. When sometimes we feel empty and lost and full of fear. It's hard. It stretches us. It stretches our faith to the breaking point, which afterwards is a thousand times stronger. It's like taffy. He's stretching it and stretching it and stretching it. And then it it, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. He bends and twists us as he shapes us. And though it feels sometimes like it, once we come to him in faith, he doesn't break us. Breaking is at the beginning. Never breaks us after we've come to him. He is molding us, and as we turn to him, trust him, waiting on him, looking to him, our faith stretches and grows up. Our faith becomes so strong it can lift and move mountains. Our faith makes the impossible possible. And that's why we can be bold. We have to repent of our little safe boring expectations and begin to imagine what the God of Jesus Christ is capable of in our lives, our church, our families, and our community. Not pie-in-the-sky dreams, but we need a bold faith in the God of resurrection, the God of incarnation, the God who won by dying. God's character is shown to us in Jesus Christ. If you read this here, Let it shape your imagination. Let it shape your expectations. Let it renew in you an imagination on the scale of Easter and Pentecost. Startling things. Startling, untamed things. Naomi was bold because she believed God could do anything. Ruth trusted God because he had never failed her in grace. Boaz obeyed God because he knew God's plans were perfect, even if they didn't align with Boaz's desires. Read this story, the story of Ruth, to shape your faith. Remember our story as a church, your story as a Christian, the story of your family and how God has never failed you. He has never failed you. Have faith in your Lord. Be bold. Trust him. Obey him. This is the Christian life. Look to God and expect great things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need faith. We need a bold, strong, trusting, obedient faith. And we cannot do it alone. We can't conjure it up for ourselves. Life is uncertain at times. And we need your guiding hand. Teach us to understand our story and the story that you are telling in history the story that is Jesus Christ. Help us to draw close to him. Help us to grow our faith as we read about him in your word. And may your spirit fill our hearts with hope and strength and understanding to discern your hand, your love, to strengthen us to go into the world and do likewise. Amen.